So the, the nuts and bolts of the actual widgets or the pieces and the code, like at the end of the day, it's probably going to be similar. What will be different is the intentions and the impact and the value that those things bring to the users is what's going to be the difference. And how do you figure out the things that are going to be valuable that are going to drive value to the user and the business can capture some of that value in terms of leads, revenue. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing. Uh, I'm really excited today because we're getting to talk to one of my favorite people. Um, and we're actually talking to our producer, Ellen Welkers. I think, I think that, that Luke is Ellen's favorite person on the entire planet. So, <laughs> Luke, for those few people out there that don't know who you are, just uh, give yourself a, a little bit of a brief interaction and what brings you here today. Sure. Um, well, thanks uh, for everyone listening in. My name is Luke Summerfield, and uh, I'm a program manager at HubSpot. Um, previous to HubSpot, I was eat, sleep, and lived in the agency world, um, working with clients um, on web design and marketing, and did that for about five years total, and uh, the agency I was working for got acquired and hopped to my next adventure at HubSpot and um, actually got hired at HubSpot without a role and without a position. They just gave me a number and said, figure out how the hell to make this thing move up and um, how to help our partners grow. And so I tried, a, a 2015 was the year of trying a bunch of programs and most didn't work, a couple uh, did okay. And then the one that really started to take off and show a lot of value for our partners and for their clients was this um, concept of growth-driven design, which is the program now that I do, uh, I've done full-time for the last two years now growing the community around that. Wow, it's been two years. Feels like just yesterday. Feels like just yesterday I was at your, at your growth-driven design workshop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the thing that I've always loved about you, and I, and I think what has made us kindred spirits so much, is, is, is you're, you're interested and fascinated by so many different things. And, and, and I think that's what brings um, that, that unique place that, that, that you take um, to, to the web and to the web in general and web, websites specifically. If I'm right, the thing that I think fascinates you more than anything else, and, and I would go so far, um, you can't say this, but other people can give you this title. I, I, I would refer to you as a genius in this area is all around the area. I'm not just saying it just to blow smoke, I promise. But it's the area of, of, of usability. And, and, and really thinking about the user interface and the user experience and, and what that means in different, um, in different instances. So I guess, first off, am I right that that, that whole idea of, of usability and user, in, um, user experience is the, like, the thing that, that fascinates you? And then even if I'm wrong, give us your take on that and, and what you've learned about it and what that means to be able to have impact on the web or anywhere. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think something that's super interesting, and of course, I talk a lot about it in the context of how you use this in the web, but, um, you know, of course, this spans across many different things. It's just the experience that um, folks go through, uh, whether you're experiencing things with a business, whether you're experiencing things on a website, whether you're experiencing things in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Um, and so... Uh, what I try to do is I try to look for industries and other areas that kind of have a lot of these things figured out. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of 
industries that don't necessarily directly align with what we would think of as marketing um, that are doing this exceptionally well. Let me give you an, an example. So um, after launching Growth Dream Design, the certification, I went on a, a six-month tour um, nonstop across the world um, doing workshops, stopping in at agencies. Um, and one of the places I stopped was Japan and had the opportunity to go there. And uh, ran into someone who invited me to go to uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, which is like the Disney resort there. And I hadn't been to Disney since I was a kid. Jumped to Disney um, with this guy, kind of spur the moment to check it out. And I cannot tell you how of an amazing experience it is when you go into a Disney. It's like you're, you're transported into a whole nother world. And it's every single detail from like literally the first time you even get on the subway, riding your way to Disney all the way to the time you leave. They have every single little thing um, put together there. And so um, it's just, it's, it's very intriguing on how advanced and all of that is very intentional. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting how advanced Disney is in creating those experiences. And I, I would say like the thing that I'm probably uh, uh, good at or one of my superpowers is looking at those concepts that are being applied in those industries and figuring out like, well, how the hell do we actually take those ideas and apply them to other places, right? And in this case, we talk a lot about um, I talk a lot about web design and optimization. And so I get a lot of inspiration, at least on the user experience side, thinking about using the same concepts and frameworks and principles that play, people like Disney uh, employ in the way that they design their theme parks and design their experiences. Um, right now I'm diving uh, very heavily into um, game design and how games are structured and the stories behind the games and the way the incentives and the, and reward systems and games are all put together because um, I'm not a big gamer. I, I actually don't like, uh, I don't, I find other ways to spend my time other than gaming, but I have been absolutely hooked uh, looking at the new Zelda. Uh, the new Zelda is a, a masterclass on how to put together an engaging experience that literally like transports you into another world. I, I sit down to play 30 minutes. Next thing I know, it's like five hours later. And how can you, it, what are they doing there? What do they learn in that industry that we can take into the experiences that we bring our clients through in the sales process that we can bring, um, you know, prospects through on the website in, in our marketing. And so I would, I, I think there's a lot that we have to learn um, about the client, uh, about the experience that a lot of these other industries have figured out. And one of the things that I'm trying to do with growth Dream design is um, put together a process and a system that we can use um, along with some of these concepts and principles um, to actually do some of this in our, in our website or marketing. <laughs> so Luke, let's, let's take, if, if you don't mind, let's, let's take a little bit of a step back to, you mentioned something, you started with HubSpot, you really didn't have a role, they gave you a budget, said, hey, go, go figure out how to, you know, have agents, give, give agencies something to grow with. And I love, love, love what you said about, you know, the, the experience of going to Disney and just how it's all done. They really do that on purpose. But what led you to say, hey, we need to, we need to build something better around website design. Um, like, how, how did you even conceive that? Were you just seeing something in the industry? Did you feel like, because I myself, when I started Seven Cents, we went off and we paid this designer tons of money to go build us a website. And the next thing you know, it's like, hey, I want to make a change here. I want to make a change here. Well, 
Next thing you know, it's more money. I got to throw it down. It's very complex. Ultimately found the HubSpot TOS and was like, okay, this is brilliant. I don't need a developer. I can go do all of this myself. But what, going back to the original question, what led you to this idea that, hey, this is something that we can deliver to, uh, to organizations to help them be more effective? It, it really was from living in the trenches, working with, uh, um, I mean, before the, before the agency, I worked internally at a company doing marketing and, and web design and managing the website and all the struggles that we went through there trying to launch sites. Um, but then going through and at the agency, every single client website that we did, um, no matter how much we planned, no matter how much we budgeted, it always, always, always was extremely frustrating, uh, got launched way late, way over budget, you know, went way out of scope. And um, then we launched the thing and everyone was just so happy that it was out of the door that we just put our hands up and we're like, okay, let's like go over to this stuff that we put on pause for the last six or eight months. Um, and in reality, like looking back at it, like it originally started when I was at the agency, we were trying to figure out a better way um, to do things because, um, just all of the struggles that we kept hitting. And so um, even back then we started putting together like this continuous improvement package, which was essentially like conversion rate optimization and usability. This is like, you know, six years ago now. And um, that was kind of our, our first step to trying to answer that. Like, well, how do we continue improving the site after it's launched? Um, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And so um, what, when I, when I, started digging into some of the things that we have learned in the software world over the last 10 years. And you look at what software was 10 years ago, where once a year you would go out and you'd buy Microsoft, you know, 98 or 95 and it was a CD and it, you know, Microsoft worked all year on it and you got it. And once you bought it, that was it. You installed it and that was kind of the thing. And then a year later or two years later, um, you know, you had this big buildup for a launch. And of course, in the software side, we realized like that's ridiculous. That's not a great way to build peak performing software that delivers value to users. Um, and, and we've really shifted over to this model of continuously improving, collecting user feedback based off of it and, and the feedback in the form of qualitative or quantitative um, or observational feedback. And um, just understanding that, uh, you know, you need someone like a product manager who can understand what the challenges are the users are running into and how to properly develop um, solutions for that. You have the design teams who are thinking about the user experience um, as they're going through the software. And then you have now uh, product growth teams that are thinking about how do you accelerate um, the adoption, the acquisition, the, the activation, the retention and referrals um, on this. And so like we figured a lot of these pieces out on the software side and, and what growth gym design has done is pulled a lot of the ideas out of the software world, a lot of ideas out of the startup world and applied those to how do you do that effectively on a website. Um, and so, you know, essentially there's, there's three stages of it. There's a strategy stage, which is basically the goal of strategy stage is to gain an empathetic understanding of the world your users live in and the challenges they face and figure out how do we best weave in, the website is a part of that story um, and you go through all a bunch of different steps there. Then we have a Launchpad website and a Launchpad website is a site that looks better than what you have today. It performs better than what you have today, but it's just a starting point. It's like the foundation, um, which is slightly different. It's not a minimum viable product. That's like the, the misconception in the software world. You can get away with doing a minimum viable product, but the reality is most of you listening, your website's been around for a while. It's big, it's robust. Um, and so you have to figure out ways that you can build a website that looks and performs better and do it quickly 
um, without just cutting all the stuff out. And so, um, you know, part of the methodology is figuring out how do you do that. And there's a bunch of methods um, that we talk about. And then once the site's live, now you have real users interacting with it. And um, you can start collecting feedback, you can start collecting data, and let the data guide you in the decisions on how you prioritize the things that you build and where you optimize and why you optimize um, or build net new uh, items based off of like the user guiding you versus, you know, what the best practice is, you know, the best practice is like the, the, the shortest route to mediocrity. It's like, let's figure out what our users want and what they'll find valuable and try to build around that. Um, again, coming from a, a, a software background, Drew, I'm sure a lot of this is like, well, yeah, this is like how a software world works, but it, it hasn't historically been the way that we approach websites. And, um, you know, that's why I am um, convinced that this is the way that websites will be built in the future. Let me ask you a really important question. Why do so many websites suck? <laughs> Probably because most people skip the first stage, the most important stage, the strategy stage. Um, we think we know who our user or who our audience is. We, we, you know, maybe we've been in the business forever and maybe we've been working at the company forever. Um, but the reality is, is that um, one, what, what your interactions were with a customer when you first started to maybe five years later are probably your customers in a very, very different spot. And so we don't necessarily know what pain points they're going through right now. Um, we don't know the journey that they're taking before, during and after interacting with us. And so we don't necessarily um, build the site around that entire journey. Instead, we just think about how do we, how do we just slam our messages in during the one touch point that uh, we happen to be interacting with them now. Um, so a lot of, a lot of people, I think, rush and they want to just get into building things and what you end up building is you may even be able to build something effect, uh, efficiently but you're probably not building the right things um, because you're skipping over that strategy stage and so um, that's probably one of the big pieces I think the other big piece is that um, the mentality especially um, in other parts of the world in the US we, we, we kind of have shifted towards uh, uh, the new mentality, but the traditional mentality is that the website is just this pretty brochure that we go out and we build and then people can, um, my dog's going crazy over there, he wants to play, <laughs> um, that we just build and then it's just there. And, and the reality is, is that yes, it needs to look good. Yes, uh, you know, of course you want to look at better than competitor, but your website is actually, the mindset shift here is that your website is a tool that the entire company can leverage for growth. And so we want to think of it as your number one marketing person, your number one salesperson, your number one HR person, your number one uh, customer service person. And by investing and turning the website into an investment, it actually allows all of those departments to leverage it as a tool uh, to help them get to their goals in a more scalable way, right? If you can get the website to act like your number one customer service person, to answer the questions before the customers have to call up the phone, that's going to save you on customer support costs. Um, if you can use the website as a way to educate and move them through the sales process and be a tool that the sales team can use, it can shorten the sales cycle. It can help, you know, in some cases, if it's a, if it's a B2C, maybe purchase directly on the site. And so I think that shift from pretty brochure, it's got to look better from, than a competitor and it's an expense that we just kind of have to do to this is a, uh, an investment in the growth of our business. It's a tool that not just the marketing team, but the entire company can leverage um, that I think 
when you make that shift, uh, it allows you to prioritize uh, building a good website that the, that the entire team can use. The, the part of the process that, that you brought out in growth driven design that to me, when I saw it, I was like, that nailed it. Um, and, and I actually think it, it, it's the piece that makes growth driven design different. Um, and, it, and it made me feel good because I, it well, made me feel bad too, because I had the thought, but I'd never concluded this idea of, of the launch pad site. Because I've seen a lot of people, and, and I know because we do this with clients as well, there's a lot of time spent on strategy. I know there's a lot of web design firms that do, they, you know, they want you to do all this market research and other silly stuff. Um, sorry, market research people out there. But and, and, I mean, I, I agree with the importance of empathy. But, but to me, it was the launch pad. And, and, and I'm, I'd like you to expand on this. I think the biggest mistake companies make with their website is twofold. They overshoot it in terms of what they bring out. They, they don't just get it. I, I, I used to call it phase 1.5. And I'm like, look, we're not trying to build the next site. We're just going to build something better than what it is right now. And then we'll worry about all that other stuff later because we can't even do anything until we get there. And then once we're there, everything changes. They try to get to finished product in one big step, um, which means they overshoot it. And they also don't build it with the idea that this is the beginning. They build it this is the end. And so... As they learn, you know, I, I think it's not, it's not even always that they don't have the empathy. It's they don't have the means to, to apply it because of how, how it was thought about at launch. They build, to get really geeky, they build a lot of tech debt. Yeah. How much of that philosophy, and, and, and I guess here's what I want to get to, because I want my listeners to, real, to hear this, but I also actually realize for a very selfish purpose, I'm, I need to use this for our client services and our sales process, which is, do not worry about getting the site right right now. Let's just make it be less wrong. Or as I've been known to say, your website sucks today. Our goal is to make it a little less sucky and be able to improve it on and on. It's a hard philosophy for people to capture. So some of them, I mean, A, am I right? And if I'm wrong, tell me, and then we can debate. Um, but if I'm not, you have the expertise. It's a hard thing for, for business people to get. How what's your take and, and, and how can we get people to understand that, that it's a, it's a constant improvement, not a one thing. Yeah. You're, you, like you're spot on in terms of people uh, bloating, the, bloating up a site, um, wanting to include it all. And that's like a, a systemic problem of the traditional web design process is like, and if, if you're living in a world where when you launch the thing, you throw your hands up, you're so excited out, it's out the door and you move, on to all these other things and the website sits, what happens is, is that it becomes, we, we've built a habit by using that system that it has to be perfect for launch. And if we don't get the thing built for launch, if it's not perfect for launch, it's never gonna get done. Um, which with traditional design, maybe that is the case, but um, the reality is, is that when you build a, a flexible system and understand that there is no such thing as perfect, that, that the best thing we can do again is get something that looks and better looks better and performs better than what you have today. And then let data guide you on how to improve that so that every month you get a little closer to perfect. Um, that's really, that's the mindset shift that again, like you said, is very hard because we've been using since the dawn of the internet, this, this uh, for the last 20, 23 years, that this is like the way you build sites. And 
when you, when you relieve, like kind of take that weight off your shoulders that it doesn't have to be perfect for launch. It just has to look better and perform better um, and be much more aligned with, with your customers and your users. But then the fact that we're using a flexible system that in, anticipates um, it's not going to be perfect and that allows us to iterate after, like that takes some of the weight off your shoulders and allows you to start saying, okay, what do we want to build for la uh, launch of the new Launchpad site? And what can we think about for the roadmap or for on the, on the wish, we call it a wish list for the wish list that we're building every single month after. And kind of going back to your original question, like a reason that a launch pad is important is if we look at the traditional design uh, process, traditional web design, you're looking at anywhere three to six months or, or I've been involved in projects. Yeah. If you're lucky, if I've been involved in projects that are like nine, 12 months. And so I talk about kind of this backroom bubble. And when you're in a, in a, in a backroom bubble, meaning that you are in the backroom with your agency or with your internal team and you're discussing ideas uh, like behind closed doors, every single thing that you talk about, although it may be uh, based off of some conversation, it may be based off of some kind of data point, it's still at the end of the day, an assumption. You're assuming that this idea, this thing will actually solve a problem um, or actually work in the way that it's intended. But it, even though it's a, it's a, it's a, a hypothesis, it's still a guess. And so when you take nine months of doing nothing but guessing, and maybe they're little guesses, but all those little guesses kind of add up, you roll all those big guesses together, you launch it into the world, and then you're like, all right, that took a lot of time, let's move on to this other stuff. Um, that's not setting yourself up for building a peak performing website that's going to actually drive growth. And so the beauty of what a Launchpad website is, is again, the fact that it looks and performs better, but we're getting that out quickly. And so um, on average, we did a survey last year, 2017 survey, and uh, we found that on average, um, uh, the Launchpad website, doing the strategy in, in the Launchpad website, uh, agencies on average were launching in 60 days. So in 60 days, you get out of that bubble. And now you're actually having real users interact with your real actual website and now you can let the data uh, inform the decisions it's no longer an assumption it's like a, a data guided decision and so that's the that's kind of the key with with the launch pad and then of course the question is is like well how do you how do you launch a site quickly and again bunch of different ways to do it uh, we talk about it in the new certification that we just launched uh, the updated certification um, but uh, yeah there's a bunch of different ways you can do it yeah, just for your, your knowledge, we actually took our process used to be about four to six months if we were lucky. Um, and the thing that was always kind of funny about that is you would launch the site and, and everyone was happy, exactly what you said. But all, everyone also hated the site. <laughs> yeah. a, it was old, right? It was already all the content on there, the ideas were old. They spent so much time, you know, you know it, it was like, you know, it wasn't the new thing. We've actually got it down to our typical launch is now 45 days. Mm. Um, and, and again, it's that whole point of let's just, you know, let, you know, let's not make perfect or even great the enemy of better. Um, let's get it better as fast as we can and then, then we can always make it better. Yeah, exactly. Like if, you, if you're recognizing and, and using a system, a process or a methodology that anticipates that and allows you to adapt over time, like it doesn't have to be, it, it's never going to, you don't need to have that weight on your shoulders that it has to be perfect for launch. Um, it just needs to look better and perform better than what you have today. Just a real quick question, Mike, go into it, because you talked about the certification. Um, is the certification for agencies only, or can, um, does it apply for, you know, 
individual businesses or marketers within within companies? The the thirty seconds on it was originally two years ago when we launched Growth Driven Design. Um, I was hyper focused on agencies, and so the certification we launched two years ago was as a big um, course. I know you went through it; it's a lot. Uh, it is it was thirteen classes, but it was really two certifications in one. It was the methodology um, of Growth Driven Design, how to actually implement it and do it, and then it was how do you as an agency market sell and service that to clients. And so what we're doing now is we split those and we have the new certification, which is just the methodology. It's open to marketers. It's open to web designers. It's open to agencies. Anyone who does anything with a website, that's the certification for you to take. And then for those of you who are agencies, now you have a a dedicated certification that only talks about agency content. Um, And that is what I'm working on right now for relaunching version two of that in the next probably sometime in quarter two, mid quarter two. Sorry, Mike. your boss doesn't hear that. <laughs> you just committed to, uh, to get that out there mid quarter two. <laughs> you heard that. Um, no, I was, I was going to say, I mean, when you, you brought up a very good point, which I had, I had never really thought about when it came to web design. And I don't think a lot of business leaders do. But it's a, it's a very interesting point, which is, hey, get the business to buy in on this. Because it's, when I thought of a website, hey, this is our, this is kind of a more top of funnel, maybe even like middle of funnel component. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if, as you continue to evolve, continually, you know, update things like that, it can really be used for all of the purposes that you said. Like, it, it is a tool for every section of the business whether that be support, whether that be sales, you know, account management, SDRs, BDRs, account executive, outside sales, whatever it might be, um, and marketing, et cetera. So, you know, collectively, if you try to go and collectively pull all that information together at the, at the outset, like you said, you're never going to launch. Right. Um, but if you're just continually innovating and then getting buy-in from different parts of the organization of, you know, hey, what do you think is working with this? What do you don't don't think is working with this? Um, and gives you the iterate or the framework to iterate. I think it's a very interesting uh, interesting comment. So I I just thought I'd give you kudos on that. And yeah, that's that's actually water on it. it's actually one of the new things that like new ideas that came out since the like the original certification didn't have that in at all. And uh, as I was traveling, like I said, six months on the road all over the world, as I was talking to folks, you know, the question came up: Well, if I launch a site and I go and I start doing improvements, like, does it ever end? Is there like, do I ever stop improvements? And so that, that's where that idea originally thought, came from where I'm like, well, of course you can always be building and optimizing in the context of improving the marketing uh, and how it benefits the marketing team with, uh, you know, lead generation, visitors, conversions, all of those types of things. Um, but what, what ends up happening is like, as you start to evolve it, like most of the time the website lives within the marketing team. And so of course that's probably a primary focus of the website to start. But as you evolve um, the website, you're exactly right. Like start thinking about it on how you can leverage it. So here's like an example at HubSpot, we're growing like crazy. And one of our big challenges with the business growing is finding good people, um, finding good talent. And so over the last year, there's been heavy investments in not only the team, but also the website to turn our careers page into like a central hub 
for driving a new candidate pipeline and getting good candidates down there. So qualifying them and, and getting the, the pipeline built. Um, and we're, so for us, if we weren't able to invest, if the HR team wasn't able to invest in the website, that would hinder our overall company's growth. We wouldn't get the right candidates. We'd be growing much slower. Um, and I already gave an example of like, you know, the services team, um, there's definitely a lot you can do within the sales team. It's just, it's just a tool that, that the entire company can use. And, and we just kind of have these blinders on because it's always kind of lived in the marketing world. And, and of course it is a good tool for marketing and, and maybe that's where it starts. But at a certain point in the maturity of the website, like it's good to break those blinders off and think about all these other ways that you can leverage um, the website. The other thing that I'll mention is um, not only just thinking about um, other teams and how other teams can leverage it, but also think about the entire customer journey that they go through from like awareness all the way down to like advocate. And what most of the time the website is built around is like you said, that very top of the funnel, middle of the funnel. And we almost completely forget about how to leverage the website for existing customers and how to leverage the cost, uh, like building advocate programs onto the website site and manage like uh, some of our community leaders and things like that. And that's a whole nother area that, Again, the website is a tool to help um, in those different areas, which again, turns into um, you know, retention, turns into upsell, cross-sell, like that's how it impacts the business growth. So, so the launch pad was the first thing that I, that I loved about, about your, your thinking. The second thing that you brought to bear, and I think you've got as good a take and ability to explain it as anybody that I've met, but this is like the Luke fan club uh, meeting today. <laughs> Um, I didn't realize I thought so. So I mean, I knew I liked it, but I didn't know. I, didn't know I, <laughs> wow. um, I mean, another problem with websites historically is that they've been measured quantitatively. Right? The qualitative measurement was always, uh, well, I like it or I don't like it, which is yeah. really kind of a wasted argument. But you know, visits, bounce rates, time on page, all this, you know, you could go crazy in, in, in Google Analytics and get lost. And and what you really, what you really captured was um, measuring usability and, and not measuring usability. You're Microsoft and you've got billions of, you know, social scientists, you know, that, that, that you know, mid-market companies could only dream of, but, you know, talking about heat maps and, and really bringing a discipline to, to measuring the, the, the usability, the qualitative aspects, which I think it's missed far too often and, 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 and we forget that we're being people, we're not just data people, especially the, the people who are coming to our site. So, so for that, again, mid-market company, then, you know, they're, they're on the, you know, they get the, web, the importance of the website, they're, they're doing basic things. How, how can they bring that qualitative discipline? Um, they look at a heat map and they go, oh yeah, okay, so we'll, you know, they, they, you know, they, 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 they see it, but they don't know what to do with it. How, how do you begin to take that approach? How do you learn it? How do you apply it? So you're, you're bringing that same discipline on the usability that you're bringing on the data, on the, on the quantitative data. There's kind of like, there's kind of, it's, there's kind of like a two-step process here. And then I can kind of break down each individual step. And again, we go through this in the certification. So if you want the long, the long, if you hear this and you're like, cool, this is cool. I want to learn more. Like it's all insert along with templates and all that stuff. So the first, the first question, and this is a big struggle that a lot of folks run into, is like you have a site and there's literally endless things you can improve on it or that you could build on it. Um, you know, changing your homepage, changing forms, changing form fields, 
experimenting with chat versus forms, like there's limitly, literally endless amount of things you could focus on. And so kind of the first step of this is figuring out if we think of it like a battle map, right? Where is my single point of attack at this given moment that's going to give me a disproportionate outcome towards the results I'm trying to achieve? So the reason that uh, when the U.S. attacked uh, in, on D-Day, they took all of their troops, every single one of them, and instead of ch attacking across the entire coastline, all the way up and down uh, Europe, they focused all of them in one single place. And because they did that, they were able to penetrate through at the, at the weakest area of that particular coastline. That's why they picked, it was very uh, specific why they picked it and how they focused everyone. And so we kind of have to think uh, in those same, along those same lines where it's like, okay, if I have a limited number of time and energy, instead of doing a little of everything all over the site without kind of rhyme and reason, how do I determine where do I focus 100% of that time and energy to, uh, on like the weakest link or the thing that's going to give me the most disproportionate outcome? And so to try and solve that, I built um, a framework that's used by the strategist called, um, we used to call it the website hierarchy. Now in the new cert, it's kind of, uh, it's less of a hierarchy and more of a guide. And so I call it the performance roadmap. And this allows you to have some metrics to measure that gives you an indication if this is the spot where you should focus or if there's a better spot you could focus. So it's kind of gives you a pulse on where on the site you should focus. So that's kind of step one is like, where are we going to invest our, our time and energy and focus? Once you've determined that, um, then it goes to what you were saying where it's like, well, what are we going to actually build? Um, and so there's kind of a, a three, three or four step process that goes into that. And the first thing is understanding what the user or the person coming to a page is trying to accomplish. Like what progress are they trying to make? And then part two of that is like, what is hanging them up? What's, what are they struggling with that's preventing them from making that progress or accomplishing that thing? And so there's a bunch of ways you can do that. You mentioned click heat maps is a really great way to see um, what people are clicking on. Doing um, user interviews or doing like a little slide up questionnaire is a great way to find out why they're there. What are they trying to accomplish? Um, you could do things like, um, you know, there's all kinds of different UX research techniques that we talk about that we introduce in the, in the certification to understand what are they trying to do? Where are they struggling? Then there's like the next step, which is like, okay, we know why they're coming here. We know what they're trying to do. We know what they're struggling with. Now let's brainstorm up solutions. And this is like where you get a little bit more creative and you brainstorm, you go, get in with the team, you think of all these different things. You know, of course you can use things like, um, case studies and industry best practices as potential ideas, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're right for your audience. Um, and then where the rigor comes in and where a lot of inspiration that comes from, um, like what a lot of product growth teams are doing is that you take those ideas and you prioritize them based off of the impact you believe they'll make in, in solving that original problem you observed and then say, okay, now let's actually go through this like the scientific method. And we have a hypothesis, right? We know what the problem is. We know what they're trying to achieve. We have a hypothesis of what we think we will build and kind of the impact it will have. And you can outline all of that and then figure out what kind of experiment, um, you know, basically map out an experimental design, um, which is like a scary word for basically like, how are you going to test? It has the intended impact you thought. Um, and that could be A-B testing. That could be looking at like cohort reports that could be, Again, um, doing a mix of different qualitative um, things if you don't have enough traffic coming to a particular page. Um, but essentially, 
um, again, letting the, letting the data guide whether or not your original hypothesis was correct. And so when you go through all of those things, again, it's, it's, a, it's a data guided approach versus a designer guided approach. Designer guided approach is, um, I think like this is the best industry, best practice, or I think this looks pretty, or maybe it's a CMO who's like, this is what I want done. And you always have these like debates of like what button color looks better or what picture should be put there. Um, and the reality is, is that's operating within that bubble. And what we need to do is um, go through a process like this, that instead of um, making those guesses um, that we're making, we're letting our users tell us. And they're not actually like picking up the phone and necessarily telling us what to build, but they're telling us through um, that data that we're observing and then the results of the experiments that we're running. I, I just have to add, not only is it better, not, not only is it, it's not them telling us, it's better than them telling us. Because when, when someone tells you what they want or they tell you why they did something, that's mm-hmm. never why. Right. The, the, the thing that's beautiful about your approach is they tell us by what they do. Right. right? And they don't, they may think that well, I hate this. I love pictures and emails. I love Im- images and emails, except when you run images and emails, you see open rates go down and click rates, click rates go down. Uh, blog posts need to be short. Um, we just did a, 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 a fascinating study on our blog. Um, the, Blog posts between 1,200 and 1,700 words. N- not only do we get more more visits and more views, we actually are now able to to test for um, specific events. So blog posts that are 1,200 to 1,700 words convert. We get a download from that comes from a blog post 1,200 to 1,700 words, 156% the rate of blog posts that are under a thousand words. And like 200 and some percent on blog posts under 500 words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yet if you were to say, if I were to show you the 300 word blog post and the 1500 word blog post, then I would say, which one would you be most likely to read? Which one would you be most likely to act on? I'm, I'm positive that 80 to 90% of people would choose that, that 300 word post because that's yeah. what we think we want. And, yeah. and that's, again, that's just the beauty of, 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 of the growth driven design approach. Um, so. And the data that we have, our, it, it, the data that we have access to in these days. I mean, that, that's the other big component of it is a lot of these technologies didn't exist. Yeah. You know, five, 10 years ago when, when that traditional bubble approach was, uh, was being taken. Um, oh, so you're just out of the bubble, Mike, cause let me tell you, man, the bubble is still there. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm out there talking to people. Yeah. And tell you there right. was a bubble. <laughs> yeah, there's still a, I would say more so the, the bubble is still bigger than the other side of it. Um, so let me, I, I'll ask you kind of a, a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe you have an answer for it, where maybe you won't. Um, how do you think, or like, if we look out two, three years, what's going to change in the website design landscape? And is is AI going to affect it at all? Because we are, we're, we're still as humans, yeah, we have access to all of this data about the way people are interacting with our website, but then we still have to get involved to make the decision. Um, and, and Brinker actually wrote a very interesting article recently, which was, you know, kind of this AI and human um, collaboration. And that's, 
that's where we're going to see marketing go for the foreseeable future is really that AI plus human collaboration versus allowing the AI engine to take it over. Man, you are trying to put a lot of people out of work, Mike. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just... <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think um, one of the things, you know, a lot of the things that we talked about, and obviously, um, you know, I'm very confident that the approach of growth driven design, whether it's like our, our branded term of growth driven design or it's some other person puts something together that takes off it, this style of web design will be, become much, much more standard. And um, that's probably one, one observation along with a lot of the other things, you know, leveraging the website across the entire org, so on and so forth, things we talked about. Um, for, the, for the AI specific thing, you know, a lot of the, like you said, a lot of this data has never been before available to us at our fingertips. But at the flip side of that is that um, it still is relatively or can be relatively hard to actually, one, sort through and get the right types of data. Um, and then two, being able to take that data and interpret it in a actionable way. And so where I see, you know, like what we look at, what a lot of product teams do, what we do at HubSpot and what a lot of, um, you know, folks um, that are, are really invested in, in doing things like growth gym design is they'll have an analyst on team who their data analyst or a data scientist, where all they do is basically dig through this stuff and put a lot of that together. Um, but as long as we know how to ask the right questions, which can be a strategist or a marketer, if we can leverage uh, tools um, that use AI and machine learning um, to try to sort through a lot of that stuff that's being done manually by data analysts and by um, you know, data scientists, um, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot more of that. And so what would that look like? That would look like something where um, right away you jump into your, into your tool and it'll know exactly, as we talked about earlier, where is the biggest area, breaking point area? Like where is the place that you should be focusing your most amount of time on? Like there's no reason that you should be digging through all these reports to try and figure that out. Like AI can take care of that. And, and as long as they know the direction we're trying to go and what the goal that we're trying to get to is, it should be fairly easy for it to dig through that and say, here's where you should focus your time and energy. Um, and then there's some interesting things that can happen where um, it can give you, based off of that area, it can give you recommendations. And so it may know that, like for instance, HubSpot, um, we have now, I don't know, 25,000, 30,000 customers who are in all different industries. Like there may be, it may get to the point where it starts to know, okay, this is, you know, these are the, the things that you can experiment with that we have seen work well in other similar businesses, similar industries, similar things. And at least that gives you that, like, what experiment should we run type of thing, like some brainstorming ideas. Um, and so that'll become easier. And then when you actually want to run the experiment, um, there should be, again, a much easier way to implement that and measure that, um, which again, could all be taken care of. So I, I, to sum it up, there's a lot of manual work that needs to be done by someone who's very good with data um, and good with numbers that that makes it a prime place that you could replace that type of work with, um, you know, a, a type of AI that can do a lot of that manual work for you. So I, I see that, I see that kind of um, as one of the, the key things, doing a lot of that background work. And, and again, what would that look like? It would be a lot of like recommendations and things like that. 
the intent of today was not to be a commercial for growth driven design, but I guess we're turning it into one deservedly. So, cause Mike, I think you bring out a great point and I still think it's something, um, you know, you and I are both data geeks. So, so I, I think we actually still overestimate how data is being used by the typical business, the typical organization. Um, and so while, while we're still trying to get adoption of data, you know, AI is coming down and, and, and it's having, you know, it's going to have implications. There, there, there's a little bit of where I think there's, there's an awful lot of hype to it in terms of, of our, you know, impacting us in, in, in the relatively near term. But, but clearly it's coming. It, 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 it's coming down there. If you're not taking a growth driven design approach, you're dead. Because all, that, data and all that information that's yep. happening, if, if it's not built to adjust, um, then, then you're dead. So, so like literally, you know, don't wait because you, you, you got to be there. Um, now I'll, I'll give you one, one little fun prediction. What I think is going to happen with AI and where growth driven design is going to come in, whether you know, the, the ideology of growth driven design, but, uh, I, I foresee a time. And by the way, Mike, I'm going to find a place for you in my vision of the future as well. Cause I like to make everybody happy here on the black line. <laughs> um, I, I think what AI is going to do to, um, to websites, is it's gonna bring dynamic, um, dynamic variable content. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is if you think about the whole um, jobs to be hired theory and, and the research that Christensen did that, that, that led to that, where you know, I buy a milkshake in the morning, I'm hiring the milkshake to do one thing, whereas in the evening, I'm hiring it to do something else and, and therefore positioning it and how you serve it, et cetera, should change. Well, I'll bet you that, that, that there are, in, in certain businesses and certain sites, there's times of day where if I'm visiting your site at this time versus that time, um, there, there's a predictive aspect that we just can't pick up the signal yet for what's happening. Um, or, and here's the big one, what drove you? Where did you come from, right? Did you come from our weekly or monthly email thought leadership piece on something that brought you on there? Versus did you come from a search about something that's more bottom funnel and, and the website will begin to, I mean, we've got, you know, HubSpot has smart content, you know, pretty soon you're going to have growth driven design combined with, with engagement optimization combined with smart modules, if you will, that realizes and repositions where things are on the page based upon who's there at the time of day, what their pattern of action is, et cetera. Am I too pie in the sky, Luke, or is that within reason over the next 24 to 36 months? I, I would say that that's probably in, in reason. Um, there's some of the, like a lot of the pieces are in place to do that. If you look at, you know, growth driven so design can be used on any platform. Like it's, it's platform agnostic, just the methodology. Right. But the question I get is like, why do we want, why, why like, of course, you know, there's a reason you would want to do it on HubSpot. And the, one of the reasons is the fact that you have this contact timeline that tells you every interaction, every email, every uh, social interaction, every sales call, like everything about this person is in this, in this CRM contact timeline. And when you combine that data with also having your website uh, hosted on, on HubSpot, um, there's already some interesting things you can do. And I would say the things that you're talking about um, will probably be more and more, uh, not only be able to do more of that, but also make it easier because smart right. content's a great idea. 
it's a pain in the butt to implement. It's a lot to implement and having a strategy behind it is, is, is very difficult. And, um, as you can use AI to make recommendations and to understand 500,000 contacts in your contact database and what the patterns are to make those recommendations, it will then make personalizing and setting up that much easier. So, um, you know, so I, how much we're going to have to edit out the piece on on the smart content thing because it, 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 telling them that it's hard to do it makes it a lot harder for us to sell it. But yeah. we tell them how we get to do that. If, if they hear this whole part about it being hard, then, then I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's I, why, I don't that's why they have to hire you. They have to hire someone who's got experience <laughs> in this strategy. I was going to ask. For real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many how many, what's the percentage of HubSpot COS users that are actually deploying smart content um, oh, or smart device? That, that's an answer question. Uh, go ahead and answer it, but I'll tell you why that's an answer question in a second. Well, it, it, the, well I actually have no idea, um, but I'll, I'll put it this way. It's one of those things that it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant idea. It's really, really smart when it's done properly. And so what ends up happening is, people buy it, buy the, the COS and they're like, this is awesome. Um, now, now rebranded to CMS, but HubSpot CMS. Uh, they're like, this is awesome. And then part of the problem is traditional web design. When you have this monster site to build, going one layer deeper and building smart content on it is like the last thing on your plate. And then you launch the site and you're like, okay, I'm whatever. We're just not going to do it anymore. So the nice thing is, is that having this iterative approach builds in time and energy to at a certain point focus on personalization and that's personalization is one of those pieces that's on that website performance roadmap we talked about earlier as a place to focus um so that's like one part and then i think the other part is when you actually get into it again um understanding a strategy behind it understanding like the the recommendations of the based off of the data the patterns you see and then being able to translate that into what should you actually build smart is and then actually creating the content um is a lot harder and more time consuming, I think, than it sounds when you first hear it. And so a lot of the folks like, uh, they'll do it, but they're not, I would say a lot of the folks could be doing it much better. Um, and so I would say that that's where one working with an agency who has experience and knows how to do it is really important um, versus trying to take that on with a small marketing team. Um, but also where having a system like Growth Gym Design, where you're actually budgeting in time to work on that type of stuff every month versus like, oh, well, maybe we'll fit it in here and there to try and get this stuff done. Like that's going to set you up to, to more effectively use that type of thing. But um, I, don't, I don't have like an actual number of like certain percent um, are using it or not. Um, the, the, that, he kind of hit, he gave the reason why it's an unfair question. Um, and that is if you, were, if you were to actually look at a report of what percentage of, um, of users are using smart content, I, I would be willing to, to put um, a meaningful wager down that more than 90% would fall into the category that are using it, um, the gratuitous use of smart content. Hi, Mike. Welcome back to our site. Yeah. Mike, here's our blog post for you or, or, or things like that. And, and, and the reason is, and, and this is the downside, for lack of a better word, of, of, of a growth-driven design approach, um, is the first step. And, and I... I I'm going to work with you at some point because I don't, you, you talk step one, step two, step three. Um, the first step, that strategy step, that empathy step, that's why people can't do smart content. I mean, first off, 
only do it if, if you know the juice has to be worth the squeeze right so sometimes you look at it and, and and you figure out there's actually a better way to solve the problem rather than smart content it's actually a different path um but but that strategy is crucial by the way to all the data and, and my um wild west version of the future <laughs> it, it's all built on on strategy right there's got to be real strategy and and I think the other problem is, and, and I'm curious, Luke, how you see people solving this, is that they do you do strategy for website once for the launch, and then all of a sudden, you know, the key people, it's like, okay, well, you know, whatever, and then you get stuck because, I mean, hell, even when you do a full launch, it's only a half of a website because yet the world hasn't responded to it. Um, how do you stay up on that strategy is, is I guess the question. What are the, what are the, what are the ways you've seen companies be able to stay up on that and not, not get web strategy exhausted? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're definitely hit the nail on the head where a lot of times you'll do something, you know, this is somewhat the point I was trying to get earlier where I said, well, if you've been, just cause you've been working at a company for a long time, doesn't mean you know your customers, you know, that the, if you started out on the front lines and sales, uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, it could be a very, very different customer, very, very different problems, especially if your industry changes, your customer changes, your product changes. Um, and so uh, I think just regularly going through the investment of this, two, I think two things. First, regularly investing, reinvesting in recompleting or re-examining some of those things that you do in the strategy stage. Um, I don't have like a prescriptive do it once a year because it, it probably will depend. A startup's probably going to do it much uh, sooner than someone who is like an established public company is probably uh, knows a, a bit more uh, kind of their target and who, what they're building and maybe has less change. But um, keeping that top of mind that every few, every year, every two years, that should be something that is at least discussed if it's a worthwhile investment. How in touch are you with your customers? So that's kind of number one. Number two is that um, if you're doing regular, if you're involving the customer and letting qualitative user interviews, uh, user testing, um, if you're involved in doing that on a regular basis and investing on a regular basis, you're going to have a pulse on who your audience is, what's working, what's not working, like what patterns you're seeing in your audience. And that's, what's going to tell you, okay, the original thing that we thought that we did in the strategy, that was good then, but we're hearing all these things from every single customer we interview uh, a year later down the road. And it's very different than what we heard over in the strategy when we did it a year ago. And so just keep continuously having a pulse and interacting with your end users um, and not just saying, well, that's just the strategy phase. It's done. Okay. We don't have to talk to users anymore. Um, I think is important. And so, you know, for us at HubSpot, we do a lot of things where every company, every company meeting, every executive meeting, every team meeting, we invite at least one customer to come in and talk and tell their story and talk about it. Uh, we, I know you've been out there a few times, Doug, to talk to the executive team about, uh, you know, what's going on in your world. Um, obviously we do all kinds of user testing, um, where we get on the phone with users, get them in the product, on the product and doing things, um, do things like, uh, uh, lots of user interviews. It's just, it's kind of like that connection with the user. It's like, you need to think about your user or your audience as like your other team member 
And just like you wouldn't completely ignore a team member uh, and not talk to them until you, like a year later after they got hired, you don't want to completely ignore your customers a year later after you do the initial strategy. I love that. Think of your customer as a team member. Our producer's telling us we're getting short on time. Mike, I'll, so I'll I got, I got one more. I was going to tell you for the last question. It's, it's a li- so it's a controversial question and it's not specific to growth driven design. Are forms dead? Oh my goodness gracious. We're starting to hold the box up here. <laughs> No, I don't think they're dead. I think what it I think what it is is that um, what we want to do is we want to open lines of communication to folks in in the best way possible um, for their preferences. And so there's certain times where that communication is best done through forms, and there's certain times where that communication is best done through. Uh, chat, whether that's online chat, whether it's Facebook chat um, or messenger, whether that's WhatsApp, whether that's a text message. Like I think all we're trying to do here is open lines of communication. And so I think what we're seeing here is that historically we've had one standard way of communicating with customers, which is like the form. And what we're seeing here now is that there are use cases where different types of communication work much more effectively. Um, But with that being said, there's also times where completing a form makes a lot more sense um, for for certain use cases. Um, And so, you know, I'm I'm not, I don't live, eat, sleep, and breathe uh, chat stuff. I know that uh, we just did a masterclass on uh, chatbots and stuff like that in the HubSpot Academy, so that might be a good uh, place to look. And I know... uh, uh, there's a lot of content that we're starting to create and uh, other folks in that world are creating. But uh, I, I would just, that's the way I look at it is that at the end of the day, we're just trying to start communications. And I think we've found in certain scenarios, there's much better way to have those communications. And there's other scenarios where, um, you know, you still need to, that a form actually is the way that the customer wants to communicate or is the best for that particular scenario. Hey, no, Mike, thanks thanks for sharing that perspective. I'll let our 69.88% landing page conversion rate um, on forms answer the question um, that I'm sharing the screen in case you're not looking at it. I'll let that answer the question, are are forms dead? Uh, Sorry, I couldn't help that one. Lucas, this was awesome, man. I got to tell you, you know what you've done today? I can't tell you if you've added anybody else to to the certification program, but you have convinced (laughs) me that I actually need to redo the certification. Um, Cool. and, And I would tell people as well, even because I went through the first one, I think I was like the seventh one certified. Actually, mm. go back to that. I remember that. I know it was early. Lucky seven. Um, um, but uh, you know, even if you're not involved in in in, in website, I still get um, growth driven design certified because I think the methodology that you teach applies to, uh, frankly, anything you do. I mean, business or non business, yeah. it's, it's, it's totally. an amazing methodology. So kudos. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, like, I mean, again, none of this idea, none of these are ideas are new. They're things that have been vetted out, been used in other industries. And, um, you know, again, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's not this, all this is, is a process and a mindset and a philosophy. And that can be applied 
in this case, right, I talk a lot I, about um, websites, but that same this, process, I'm, I'm, that same methodology, the same um, so I want to do a thought real process can be applied to marketing, um, gonna, to sales, to, this, by the way, um, um, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I could approach training Jiu-Jitsu in the exact same way, it's just a framework for thinking and a process to follow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a snippet real quick. There's a lot of folks that use that and they use it on their website, they use it in their marketing, they use it in their sales enablement, sales stuff, and they just kind of wrap it all together and just follow the same process for everything. Uh, the growth of any business today. Most people the difference between a good website and a great website is, yeah, thanks for is having really, me. really small in the difference Just. of what actually goes into the site, but it's huge in impact. What are, what are the keys um, to that? And then if you could give an answer that kind of relates to that whole aspect of, of empathy and, and, and usability or whatever, I think that would be a great, why should somebody listen to this? And then it, it really gives them that key. Sure. That sound good? Yep. I'm all, I'm all good for that. Alrighty, we're going to have Luke coming up on an uh, episode of the Black Line podcast. Luke, we know that websites are crucially important to business today. The difference between a good website and a great website in terms of business results is, is huge. In terms of the actual components of the site, it's actually a small difference. Talk to the audience, if you will, about what, what really drives that difference between a good website and a great website. A lot, a lot of it comes down to the why, like, why are you building these things? And there's a subtle mindset shift from, well, we're building this because it's an industry best practice or because our designer thought this would look good or we thought this color versus this color. Uh, with the mindset shift of we're going to build it based off of the understanding we have of our audience, of our users, what's going on in their life, what are they trying to accomplish, and building the website as a part of that story to solve in new ways that aren't being solved today. And then figuring out what that is through data, letting the data guide you, meaning uh, the users will tell you what they want, how they want it, through that, their behavior, through their actions, through the actual data. And um, the end result may look the same. Uh, you may end up building something that is very similar, but the reason why you built it and what you actually built, like you said, the nuts and bolts may look the same. Uh, can we start this over from the top? Yeah, just okay. keep going. We'll just edit it. Yeah. Or, well, okay. I'll start, I'll start over from the, from the uh, top. So the, the nuts and bolts of the actual widgets or the pieces and the code, like at the end of the day, it's probably going to be similar. What'll be different is, the intentions and the impact and the value that those things bring to the users is what's going to be the difference. And how do you figure out the things that are going to be valuable that are going to drive value to the user and the business can capture some of that value in terms of leads, revenue. You figure that out by taking a, a user driven approach where you understand the user, understand the world, what they're trying to accomplish their entire journey and weaving the website in as a part of that journey solving problems along the way in different places you probably are not solving today and then letting data guide you let their actions guide you don't just do what looks pretty or what your cmo thinks or what the latest design trend is or what you saw in some case study in some other industry let the data guide uh, your audience and what you're building on the site for that audience and so that's a very subtle um, shift but it allows you to build things that not only uh, look good, but actually deliver the value and, and perform better. Don't miss even more about this on the Black Line Podcast. Awesome, man. 
Um, okay. Awesome, Luke. That was really cool, man. I learned a lot and definitely got some homework now. Yeah, yeah. On, on gamer theory, are you familiar with the gamer's dilemma? The gamer's dilemma? Yeah. 